Hello and welcome to the Community Matters Storytelling for Community Planning Project Call. My name is Rebecca Sanborn-Stone and I'll be facilitating today's call. This is a follow-up to the first storytelling conference call that we held in January of 2012. This call is a much smaller group and allows participants to ask questions and share ideas about projects that they're carrying out in their communities. You'll be joining the call partway in. This is the public portion after participants have already given introductions. You'll be hearing from Barbara Ganley and Betsy Rosenbluth, our two speakers and a wide variety of practitioners. Enjoy. Uh, so let's just dive into some of the meat of it. I know there are a couple of you, actually a bunch of you, I think, who really haven't figured out exactly what kind of project you want to do yet or whether a storytelling project is even really appropriate for your community. So let's start there. Does anybody want to ask a specific question about that or throw out something along those lines you're struggling with? Let me just toss it to Barbara and Betsy then to get the ball rolling with this idea and feel free to jump in if this does trigger something to you. Um, there are a couple people who weighed in, I think, with the notion that there are different factions in the community, some people who may not be getting along very well, some groups that may not support a storytelling initiative or that kind of thing, um, groups that may be important to engage but might not buy in initially. So Barbara and Betsy, did either of you have any advice for people just starting out with how to weigh that landscape and figure out whether to go down this road, how to approach groups that may not buy in, how to start that conversation locally? Yeah, I mean, I think on the, the tail end of the last call we were on, um, we talked about as you're designing your project, um, how you look at the different networks in the community and think about who are you trying to connect with and how do those networks, you know, who are some of the key people? And as you think about then designing a storytelling project, how do you begin to understand your connections to some of those network leaders and draw them into the process and begin there? I know in some of the projects, we just started with a handful of stories and once word got out that we were you know, interviewing, there's this great story in Starksboro, Vermont, where uh, Middlebury College students were trying to really focus on some of the agricultural and farming stories, and they called up the farmers, you know, cold calls, and a couple of farmers were a little bit grouchy, didn't have time, it was a busy time of year, and but they found a couple of farmers who were interested. And sure enough, two weeks later, the same farmers who had refused called back, because word got out, um, and they were like, well, you know, you'll need my story as well. And so I think, you know, what I would say is to understand the networks in the community, whose stories, or if you're talking about bridging different groups or different sides of issues, who are some of those groups, identify some of the um, some key people and see if you can't just start with a few stories. I mean, you've got to have it planned enough and un that you can describe very clearly how those stories will be used, but um, I found these projects really start to, to grow and expand as once you get going. Um, for me, an important question to answer right off the bat is why, why are you doing storytelling at all? Why are you thinking about storytelling? Are you interested in the stories? Are you interested in having a lot of stories that can be broadcast 
from your organization to the world to show something about your organization or about your community? Or are you particularly interested in the process of storytelling as a mechanism for bridging the divides in your community and building relationships? Those are different. They can be related, but they're different. So it's really important to figure out, first of all, are you really interested in a bunch of stories? to do something with, because somebody was mentioning the economic development and the branding, some of that has, you know, that's really getting some great stories. Or are you interested in reaching out? Is there, a, is there a, you know, some sort of wound in the community or is there some sort of coming together that needs to happen? I saw that there, you know, some, some of you are already saying you're interested in digital storytelling. There's a, somebody was is interested in, in community journalism. These are, you know, very specific, specific kinds of story processes that require a particular kind of um, entering into them. You know, so each kind of storytelling. So if you're interested in interviews, the food project, if you're, if you're going out there and you're wanting to connect with very specific people in the community to get their story, then the way you enter that project is quite different from how you enter a project where you really are trying to figure out how can we come together and talk about difficult issues in our in our town? And then, you know, to go from there where you begin and also how you go about it. So, um, Jekka, you mentioned some of the divides and some of that bridging. Um, you know, there were there were some interesting projects where in the process of just interviewing neighbors, they started, you know, that aspect starts to break down a little bit and really changes those individuals pretty completely. And you can tell just by watching or listening, depending on how, the, how that story is captured, that change in that relationship, and it starts to melt a little bit further out into the community. So just a note that where you start and then who is who is collecting those stories and how those stories then get shared are all these core questions that tie back to what Barbara's saying about your goals. Let's put this out to everybody on the line. Does anyone have experience with this? Are you struggling with it in your community? Um, this is Elaine Brett. Uh, I, I, I don't know who said it, but there's an interesting phrase here. Uh, is there some wound in the community that you're trying to address and I think I think that's an area I'd like to explore a little bit um, if if there's something in the community some you know some some dirty little thing or some um, uh, something that in the past has separated uh, groups of people that they they don't want to talk about they don't um, um, that they just kind of hide it under the rug. Um, what what would your suggestion be on on how to start the conversation or how to start um, diving into that without creating more bad feelings and without uh, making the gap wider? Um, I, this is Terry from New York. Um, in that was one of the critical issues that we came across uh, in the work. Um, and in New York, they have a, a wonderful program that is a series of uh, community mediation centers. And so I started studying mediation and facilitation through uh, John um, Forrester at Cornell and uh, David Greenwood and became a, a mediator and facilitator certified by the New York group. And it's been a, a really fantastic uh 
enhancement to this kind of work because it helps when you do the search conference that uh, that initial um, identifying of the people that you need to bring to the table and of course it it grows but the initial stakeholders that you need to bring together and then those stakeholders of course grow naturally uh, the other parties that come uh, one of the things that we developed was a screening tool and the screening tool especially when you're dealing with um, those kinds of topics that are sensitive, um, things of race, uh, things that have potential um, energy issues or a real hot topic. Uh, I know one of the people that called in is uh, dealing with uh, energy issues in Telluride, as we are in New York. Um, Some of these things can be um, very hot topics. But anyway, through the screening process, you can decide which methodology you you move forward with the storytelling, um, whether it's a, a public storytelling uh, method like they use in Fogo Island or whether it's um, you have to create a safe harbor first. Uh, sometimes these things have to be taken in stages. So um, every, every as someone just pointed out, every one of these um, storytelling processes and projects ha- has its own uh, personality, but uh, we created a matrix um, and a series of questions that can e- easily kind of be answered yes or no to help sort that out and a decision tree of, of where to go next, um, which has been really helpful. And sometimes you have to bring in third-party neutrals, uh, get mediators to come in who are trained in alternative dispute resolution to um, uh, provide services alongside with the storytelling. So we've had very good luck with it. So. Great, Terry. That was really interesting. Is that decision matrix anything you could share with the group? Is it available? Um, well, it, it will be as soon as we launch. It's uh, proprietary right now, um, and it's ready to launch, but I can't launch it yet. But uh, uh, hopefully, that will be um, part that will be open to the to the public. What we're trying to do is make a decision whether to go for public funds, you know, through uh, foundations and things, or to run it as a private organization and and give back to the community. And a CPA is currently working on this. I don't know how good of a CPA is. <laughs> anyway, um, trying to decide whether we do like 20% profit and give the, the 80% back to the communities. Uh, so it's it's just this kind of technical business thing, but uh, it's uh, one of the Anybody that's interested, I can uh, give referrals to different books and different methodologies for uh, different types of projects. Our organization uh, identified over the last nine years 10, uh, probably more than that, but different types of community projects that all use different methodologies. And so there's a different body of work and a different set of advisors for each one of those. So like if you're dealing with environmental issues, there's one set of advisors and one set of methodologies. We're dealing with racial issues. There's a different body of work that goes with that. Um, if it's small groups, that's one dynamic. If it's large groups, if it's going to be used over community television. Um, anyway, so distribution is one thing. Um, creating the stories through a narrative inquiry or appreciative inquiry um, and the methodologies there, that's, a, that's kind of a different thing. So uh, anybody that wants to call me or email me anytime, I'm happy to answer any of these questions. Um, and hopefully this will be will have the structure of the business um, so I can launch this because the content's ready, but <laughs> it's just 
I can't do it quite yet. And this is Gina Knutson, and um, I guess this kind of conversation is is what I hoped would happen here. I think um, a lot of us, regardless of of what issues we're working on, we've come to an understanding that um, people glaze over acres treated or um, you know other statistics, but uh, when they connect with people, they understand our work, they believe in our work, and they're more likely to support it. And so it's really interesting to hear, you know, a variety of ways that, that people are getting back to this um, very human uh, way of telling our story. Yeah, amen. That's great. Oh, well, this is certainly turning into a wonderful conversation so far. I, I want to get back to one question that Elaine raised a little bit in terms of the wounds that communities may be dealing with or any issues that people need to get over before embarking on a project like this. Elaine, do you, are you looking for more information or help on that issue in particular? Um, just looking for some ways to handle it because um, we, we do have some of those that we're going to have to break through some of those barriers. Um, and there's a dynamic in small towns in, in with small populations that I think is really very different than New York City or any of the other big urban areas. And, and that's that the people who are going to expose themselves and tell their stories or tell why the wound is there, um, you see each other every day. You, you see each other in the grocery store. You, you know, your kids go to school together. You can't hide from it. Um, in in bigger areas, other places that I've worked, uh, you know, you you leave it and and it's over. Uh, you don't necessarily um, have to deal with with people on a day to day basis, which you do in a small community. And so, if you um, do something to um, enhance the wound, it, it has a very a very very serious effect. Um, but without getting to the, the, the fundamental nature of it, uh, it also has a serious effect on making making progress forward. Um, so I, I, in thinking of how we're going to approach this community, um, I, you know, just looking for, for some, some ideas and suggestions on, on best approaches for that. Um, I, if um, I could, the... Uh the mediation, the world of mediation um, offers some wonderful best practices for this. Uh, if I were you, I would get in touch with uh, local mediators. Most of the programs in New York State are very small, uh, very rural, very farm-based communities. Uh, some of them are also communities that have um, secret military. Uh, they're not very secret, but military um installation, uh, so there's two or three, and then these wonderful universities, so there's two or three different communities that all come together with very different needs, uh, very different ways to look at the world, uh, in very small communities, and you're right, there's all, of, every possible um, conflict arises in these little places, and they're very heated, and people are very private. Um, I recommend getting um, the series of books by William Uri, U-R-Y, um, for your own information, and there's some really wonderful uh, ideas in there that he uh, puts forward. Uh, one's called um, uh, Getting Past No, uh, Getting to Peace, the, the Power of a Positive No, etc. Um, but there's 
there really there there are people out there that are very good at this, and um, I would team up with them. Yeah, I have a question. Go back to this of Barbara because in in our work, this is Betsy Rosenbluth with the Orton Family Foundation. Um, you know, we have tried to sort of separate out disruptive issues that that are very hard to take local action and resolve from some of the emerging issues that you can really manage and get people involved in creating change. But these old wounds often just need to be aired. And so I'm just curious your advice on, you know, how do you not get bogged down on some of these disruptive issues and yet still allow what has to happen just to move forward? How do you manage that process? Yeah, this is Barbara. Um, that's a that's a great and important question. One of the ways I suggest to communities that they honor the past, whatever that is, and that's good, bad, ugly, whatever, is to right out right from the get go, say that we've got some long-standing issues, and they're going to be uncovered through this process. And so we're going to relive some of that as we move forward. But our emphasis here is to come together to hear each other so that we together can move forward. So if the the emphasis is this forward, is the future, and we all have a stake in that, then we're going to be able to encounter those wounds of the past and learn from them, not not let them fester again, refester, but to learn from them. So, you know, that relationship and balance of past, present, and future is so crucial to get out right off the bat. And there are a couple of really great techniques. Now, it depends how deep and powerful the wounds are. Now, some communities, there's just... If there's a completely marginalized, disenfranchised section of the community, sometimes the most powerful thing to do is a digital storytelling um, convening with that group to let them tell their stories. Um, and then ask them if they would share those and then slow, find ways to bring those stories into the conversation. They're not the only conversation, but they're an important piece of it. So you're always making sure that they're being valued, they're being heard, but they're also just being threaded into something bigger. Another thing is story circles. Just simple story circles are one of the most powerful ways of coming into contact in a, in a caring way about difficult issues and feelings. Because if you can convene people from various groups together and to set a storytelling um, prompt that recognizes the difficulty but is helping them to move, move to a solution, then they can share their own personal stories one by one around a circle, looking at each other and deeply listening. So a lot of training that I do is as much in listening to story as it is to telling it. And that's what a good journalist does, that's what a good facilitator does, and, but, and that's what a good story coach does. Is, is work on that kind of telling. So I think, so that's the gamut. You know, the highest tech digital stories can be in a profoundly helpful way for, for um, um, people who have deep community wounds to tell their story, but then putting people in just, and the, and the stories aren't captured. You're not, you know, these stories don't need to go beyond the story circle even. They can be just 
shared there. Move on. That's a good segue. I think a lot of you are struggling with what actually you want to do in your communities, what this is going to look like. So time's moving on here. I, I think it would be helpful to switch to that part of the conversation a little bit. Um, does anyone want to jump in with a specific situation or question about this? I'm thinking specifically how you decide what tools you want to do or what type of event. Are you doing digital storytelling? Are you doing story circles? Are you doing journalism? Anyone who's looking for help on that? Well, this is Gina Knutson again, and um, we, we've looked at digital storytelling examples and uh, seen the short clips that most people recommend uh, that you uh, you edit your um, your information, your narration down to. And my question is, how do you do? You have any advice on how to? Once you ask someone to tell their story, they tend to. Um, a lot of times carry on maybe uh, quite a bit longer than the the uh, 10 seconds or the 30 seconds or the three minutes that you need. And so are, are, do you have any advice in, in that arena, how you cannot invest hours and hours to get a really short snippet of information? Um, this is Barbara again. There's a lot of ways you can do that. It sounds as though when I talk about digital storytelling, I'm talking about people actually making their own stories. But it sounds like it's to me as though in a way you're doing an interview project where you're capturing the stories and putting clips of, of Correct. Somebody, somebody's editing. Okay. So you can do – there's some wonderful exercises, sort of man on the street, you know, 50 people, one question. Um, and you ask a particular, you frame your question so the kind of answer you're going to get is going to be very short. And, you, you know, that can, that takes some training of your interviewers to get, to have those short questions that are going to get great answers but short answers. Um, the other thing is to, to, to prep your interviewees with a, a list of questions and tell them that you're, tell them exactly what you're going to do. You're, you're going to be, um, looking for very, the kernel. Um, of what they feel and think and experience. And so you're interested in a particular image. You're interested in, in you know, one little story, um, very brief story. Sometimes they call it the nutshell version. Tell us the nutshell version. You've got three sentences, beginning, middle, end. Tell it to us. And then, of course, those, those go on far longer than the three seconds or the three minutes. But then, then you have to carve. Digital storytelling, I have to say, is the most time-consuming. Usually, you know, if you're trying to do a professional kind of product, that is extraordinarily time-consuming. If you're trying to let people do their own digital stories, you're talking about a three-full-day training just to teach them how to use the tool. Um, so um, that is, you have to be really, everybody wants to do digital storytelling because we're a visual culture. Everything's visual now, and it's sound, and we want, we want to spread it out on, online. But I would ask the question, why Exactly why are you doing um, a digital story, a video, um, and, you know, what, what's your purpose? What are you going to do with it? Because are you going to get enough bang for your buck, in other words? Is a digital story going to give you enough of an outcome? Um, yeah, and the, I, the idea was definitely uh, for these different regional communities to um, who do policy work together to be able to um, distribute that outside of our communities. And, and so that's how we, we came across the idea of, of a digital storytelling project. Um, one of the uh, best 
examples, I think, of a digital, uh, for regional planning of uh, storytelling uh, is uh, Thomas Berger McKinsey Pipeline Project in Canada um, when they were planning the world's largest uh, energy pipeline, uh, also the world's largest engineering suite ever uh, designed. Uh, it was given to this judge to decide how to make um, make a decision to go ahead with the project or stop the project, and it started in the 1970s. And a lot of that information is online. But he created a method for capturing stories. He allowed every person, he went to 164 different communities, and he said, look, you've got 15 minutes, and in that 15 minutes, I want you to tell me, and then there, there was a, a method, he you know, asked certain specific questions, Everybody can stand there. He had filmmakers from the local, um, up there they have the National Film Board of Canada and the Canadian Broadcast Corporation, but they had uh, their filmmakers on site. The people knew that they were going to be on film, and so they were very, uh, they were very careful about their rhetoric. They wanted to make sure that they had their voices heard, but they were very good at, um, editing themselves and putting together, making their points rapidly but authentically in their own language. And um, they telecast all of those interviews um, every evening all across Canada. And it's, uh, it, it was a spectacular thing. Those interviews are still studied by anthropologists and archaeologists and planners. And um, it, it's very interesting. And they um, provided uh, translations in the, all the different communities, in French and English and all the different Inuit um, uh, dialogues. Uh, and it was uh, it, it's probably the largest uh, storytelling project of its kind. But it really served as a wonderful model. Um, so it's in their authentic voice, and it's not edited, and uh, but it's limited in time. And those are easier to ed- edit together. If you need to edit something, the Fogel Island process is a really good way to do it. Uh, again, uh, as uh, Barbara was saying, it's very costly, but you can work with local film departments. Uh, graduate film students uh, like to take these projects on, especially ones that are studying uh, documentary film. Uh, people that are in community television, often you can get uh, interns to come and help you with projects like this. But uh, it, it, the people have to be part of the editing process, so it's authentic. And they need to review the edits before they're made public. And um, what, if you do that step, then you're in pretty good shape. But if you try to edit it and then release it, and, oh, and another thing, you have to get releases. Anybody that you film and you're going to put on the Internet or anything, you have to get a written release. For. So um, that's something I also recommend everybody learn how to do, just to have those, keep stacks of them with you wherever you go. Yeah. This is Bessie at the Foundation. I would just say, you know, often in some of our projects we'll do a combination of things, and so a few of the stories will be long. You know, sometimes it's important to give people, again, it depends on the purpose, and the context you're doing the storytelling in, but sometimes it's worth just sitting down and giving people the time to tell their story. And at the same time, there are other parts of your project that could be, you know, much simpler, much quicker, much less even tech um, involved with the kind of training that you would need that supplements that. And so I think, 
looking at your resources and, um, you know, you just mentioned some great ideas in terms of bringing other folks in, interns even, or fellows um, to help. But, you know, look at ways that you might combine methods to, to help you achieve your what you're looking for. Great. I'm wondering if there are others on the line we haven't heard from who have anything to throw in. Megan, you said you've done a lot of work with interview training already. Uh, Jessica, you've had some experience with digital storytelling. Anyone want to add to this? Joanna? This is Jessica. I'm going to give Jessica or Joanna a tip first. Oh, was someone going? Go for it. I was, but go ahead. Well, I, I, all I was going to say, I was just going to answer your question. You know, a lot of the things I think that we've done so far, Barbara, you covered in your very first, um, your very first chart. We've done a lot of training on with all of the students and volunteers who are doing the interviews. Really, what is it that that we're asking? And since we're doing something so specific, we have a specific kind of story in mind. So we've crafted a list of questions that that each interviewer goes in with some really specific ideas in mind, but then a lot of flexibility to follow a storyline as it as it emerges in the telling. Um, and that, But that's something that, that we've been practicing with each other before we, we go out and start talking to anybody because it, it really is an art. Um, we're doing it very shoestring budget, so, so we, we haven't had really intensive three- and four-day training, but we have done specific training on the interview techniques and specific trainings on the technology that, that people will be using. Um, the one thing that we found, we, we have some really fabulous partners for this project, um, and historical societies are part of that. And, and that might be something for folks who are just getting started at started this. If you haven't yet connected with some of the local historical societies in your community, they do this all the time. And not only did, in our case, that they have connections with a lot of the people who we'd like to hear from, but they also have, have had some really great advice on what to do and how to do it, and I think they could be great partners. Great suggestions. And I wanted to say something about, um, this is Joanna. Uh, I just came back from a storytelling workshop with Black, and she did some really interesting things talking about shortening things with uh, telling it in headlines, telling it from other people's viewpoints, and was very interesting just working with the story, and I thought a lot of these things were very applicable to community. Yeah, this is Barbara. That's a great that's a great suggestion. There are also some, some of the trainings, and I know that, Carl, you're interested in the citizen journalism piece, and this is, you know, sort of swinging to, from talking about um, committees and groups doing the story capture and letting the people do the stories and themselves, you know, tell their own stories, capture their own stories and, and create them, that there's some really terrific um, how-tos online. You know, Vision on TV has these great little templates for one-minute, one-shot one news reports, how to capture with your cell phone, What's going on, and, and, and you know, using the traditional kind of um, journalism uh, prompts, but also the the ethics behind that. But you know, letting letting people have some of the tools in their own hands uh, 
to to tell the stories and to ga- you know gather them. Can, you, you might get some riches that you had no idea existed out there. You know, um, so I love the fact that you said you know start with some questions, but then let you know be flexible and see where that conversation goes, and then maybe. That person's going to want to take a cell phone out and tell the story. Go, go take a picture of that tree she just told you the story about and, and tell, you know, the one-minute story about that tree. And maybe you can have a place for people to put their own stories up. Great. Anyone else struggling with uh, what kind of storytelling project to do or what tools to use, how to use a certain tool? Uh, this is Carl at the Telluride Foundation, and uh, we're we're in the initial stages of a of a uh, establishing a program, and uh, as part of that, we're applying for some grant funding, and we're having some difficulty just coming coming up with uh, concrete numbers or deliverables. Um, I was wondering um, if anyone had any comments on that. We lost just the tail end of what you were saying. There was some feedback. You're looking for ideas about um, deliverables from a storytelling project that you could share with funders? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, just with the, the new funding environment, you have to be uh, pretty clear and concrete about exactly what uh, outcomes your, your program will have. And uh, as part of that, you need some indicators. Um, you know, kind of proving that you've met these outcomes or these goals you've set for yourself. Um, I, I think it's pretty easy to, uh, you know, to, to talk about and to express to people that you want to, you know, improve the overall civic dialogue or you want to work past some of these community wounds. Um, but, you know, does anyone have an idea or examples of how they they measure that? Um it, it seems like just saying, you know, 16, uh, 16 interviews um, doesn't quite meet the goal of healing community wounds. Um, there's, there is a really good uh, uh, resource for that. It's called Collecting and Interpreting Qualitative Materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's by, uh, oh, who is it? It's... Uh, Norman and Wyona, God, what's their last names? Um, I don't know. That's, that, the name of it is Collecting and Interpreting Qualitative Materials. Great. And it will, it, it helps sort that out. There's some really good software available now that will help quantify, uh, social data. Um, again, Robert Coles, uh, I just put that in one of the notes, but Robert Coles, uh, is really terrific at, uh, and, and John Forrester, of course, at Cornell, but uh, they've developed some um, uh, really good software around collecting that kind of data. I, I have some issues with that um, because I think that the a person's story and collective stories are larger than just something that's, you know, quantitatable. <laughs> but, uh, sure. you know, that's uh, I understand what you're up against because, you know, in academic circles, you always have to prove everything and measure it. And, you know, uh, other other ways are uh, uh, there's a lot of work in the Rockefeller Foundation, a lot of really good white papers 
uh, that they offer, and uh, UNESCO has a lot of wonderful white papers about uh, storytelling and the power of storytelling and how the way they they use the language is very interesting, um, and I think you'll get some ideas of just the way they construct their arguments. You probably get some good language from there. I did. Great. Thank you for those resources. Um, Internet uh, the World Bank. They did. Uh, oh yes, absolutely. Yep. Storytelling. I think when you're talking about small communities too, you, you you also want to get really you want to get real with what you mean by outcomes. Uh, yes. You want to talk about um, some of the ways you've measured the outcomes of the storytelling in, the, in your communities. Um, I think that's you know I think that's a really interesting piece of this that you could address. Yeah, um, I mean, ours are, are wrapped into often a little larger project, but our, you know, our goal essentially is, is changing the culture of civic participation, right? So story is a method as, you know, yes, has numerous goals within that. And, and, um, so we struggle with it. I'm curious of others online. I mean, we have started to look at more quantitative ways. I mean, we measure perception and things like that, but we're starting to look at are there more quantitative ways of measuring um, new leadership emerging um, in small towns, people who are willing to sit on um, civic boards and committees, um, measures like that. Um, we look long-term. Um, you know, we're able as a foundation to go back a few years later and look at ways that the town, it's, it's basically a measure of resilience, was able to address a new issue um, or a conflict and had the skills to come together and resolve that. Um, nice. Uh, we're still, you know, struggling and still talking to a lot of other people, looking at, um, you know, who else is measuring. There's a lot of, um, I'm in discussion with the Knight Foundation, too. They've done some interesting work. Um, yeah, they're great. Yeah, but looking to how do you how do you measure that change in, in your civic culture? Yeah. Um, I'm I'm going to put up a, uh, I don't know where to, to put the link, but there's a really, there's an interesting link to a group, uh, that's called the Communication Initiative. Um, not quite sure where to put it, but they have a lot of interesting information. Uh, you jog my memory about international development and, uh, the practitioners in international development that use communication as a tool uh, are all a big network in this group, and you can join it. Um, and there's some wonderful, they, they post all of their papers and their work there and share ideas. Um, it's interesting. Um, I don't know, I'll just set it in this document somewhere, and everybody can have it. This is Rebecca. One thing that occurred to me, too, from a project the foundation did in Starksboro, Vermont, is that you may not necessarily know what's going to come out of these projects. This was a really interesting town where a Middlebury College class went in, did a whole range of storytelling projects, including some interviews, digital storytelling. They produced a book and then held a community celebration where they 
you know, like presented everything we found and the stories back to the community. And I think what struck me the most coming out of that was a tremendous burst of energy from Stark Fair, that all of a sudden people were coming out of the woodwork saying, this makes me want to go start a committee to do this and do this project and this project. And I don't think anybody saw that coming. So I don't know that that really helps you, Carl, because you can't really anticipate that enough to put into a grant application. But I guess it's just a word of advice to be open-minded about what kind of outcomes you might expect and try to keep an eye out for everything. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's lots of good resources for me to uh, look into and at least uh, get, get some good phrasing from. Um, and it, it's actually a Knight Foundation grant we're looking at, so it's very appropriate that foundation was brought up. They do do a lot of uh, great work with community storytelling and increasing uh, just general community information. Okay, I know the rest of you are mulling over all kinds of things out there, so who else has a question to throw out at this point? What are you wrestling with? This is Jessica in Louisville. Um, we really um, are looking for, and I don't, like I've heard people talk about like these story circles and things like that. Um, we're really looking for kind of an innovative and interesting way to get people in the same space telling their stories. Um, so I don't know if anybody has any experience or suggestions for that, um, you know, kind of face-to-face without too much intervention from us, um, but really opening up the floor to the, you know, residents of our neighborhoods and our members. Um, this is this is Barbara. I know that um, one a very effective method is to uh, couple your storytelling efforts with events that already exist within the community. So mm -hmm. if there are, say, celebratory events, it's very easy to set up a story booth where people come in and they can have little story circles right there um, or, or interviews. Um, it's great to, or you can put uh, kids onto the street and, you know, the youth. We haven't even touched youth and the, the way that involving the young people of the community can suddenly get people to come places that they wouldn't ordinarily. So if it's the youth who's conducting some of these things, you can get them in the place. And then they can have all kinds of inventive ways to, to, to do some storytelling, which doesn't have to all be verbal. I mean, it can be, you can bring in the arts with this. There can be some, some um, visual arts that go along with this. A story mural, for, um, for instance, um, can be a very interesting way. So using different kinds of tools to get different kinds of people in the space together. You know, mm -hmm. farmers markets are great places to, to convene um, storytelling circles around food. So you, you know, you take that particular the theme of whatever that event or that gathering is, and then you get the stories to go around that, and then jump into whatever you know your your particular issue. Okay, thank you. How about others? Anybody else on the line? has success with this or heard about cool projects or ways to bring people together and tell stories? Yeah, who hasn't heard <laughs> This is Elaine uh, from Northern Valley. Uh, one of the things I think we're trying, um, 
and it just you mentioned it involving youth um and um I think a lot of times a, a kid a child can ask a question that that adults couldn't get away with um and um that there's some real opportunity of 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 having of building a connection between young people and adults and also getting to some of the the messy stuff that kids kids can be forgiven for um and I, I think we're going to try a, a, a little thing called, um, I think it'll be called Pass the Mic, uh, that the local radio station will be involved in and getting, um, people in the community, particularly young people, to, um, ask questions of others in the community. Um, and we hope that, you know, we'll position it that they could be asking about, um, uh, in, in a future, in a future focus, um, to be ask adults about, you know, where is where is the future going? Where do we want it to go? How can we take it there? Um, and um, with with children asking that, it it really does show their investment in the future. And um, and we may be we're hoping what we get we'll get good information. We'll get people thinking along the lines of a future rather than just uh, keeping themselves uh, stuck in the past. And um, so I think there's some really good opportunities with with youth to to bridge the generations as well as to maybe go over some of the difficult questions. Um, there was a short project on this that was done by our local community radio station, and they had they had kids going to uh, different adults, and and they kind of broke a barrier with one of our um, uh, one faction of the community that's been tough to to bring in, um, and it's the mining industry, and a couple of kids went up. And interviewed uh, some adults, um, some of the minors, and it, it broke, broke through a lot of barriers, I think, and it, it really, really uh, came off very well. Yeah, that's cool. fantastic to have kids. And another, just one little piece of that too, is it's really important to have the kids tell their stories as well. Mm-hmm. You know, capture the adults or the mi- the children of minors to tell their story um, could be really a powerful way. For, for the other half of you know parts of the community to listen to the story. Yeah, and, and I think that the schools are, are should should be a place that's kind of an equalizer. You know, all the kids are there together and they get a chance to mix and and um, and hopefully not have some of the same um, problems with each other that that some of the adults do. And so I think it's a really good forum to do that in in the schools and get them talking to each other uh, about. Um, about what they'd like their future community to be. Yeah, and we ha- we found um, it's interesting in Biddeford there were some folks who used to they had a number of mills sh- shut down and the people who are older now working in those mills really weren't going to turn out and tell their stories r- right off as the project started. But the kids went and interviewed their grandparents and there were these amazing mm-hmm. celebratory events where those the you know, their family members were part of this movie that the community was really embracing. And after that moment, then, people were much more willing to share their story. So sort of back to Jessica's, I think, question about it is sometimes it's okay if people are going to share their story at home and not be out. It might take a few steps before they realize they're comfortable in sharing that story or that the community really wants to hear it. And I think youth sometimes play that nice role of drawing drawing folks out in that way. Great. So we've probably 
we've got about 15 minutes or so left before we want to do a little wrap-up and find out what kind of help or connection you all want coming out of this. I just want to make sure everyone's had a chance to ask a question or get some help. There are a couple people we haven't heard from, so let me put a couple on the spot, and if you don't have questions, that's fine, but I think we haven't heard much from Jillian and Megan. Anything either of you want to raise? Yeah, this is Jillian. Um, I've actually just really appreciated getting some ideas on, um, and thank you, Carl, for bringing that up because I hadn't thought about this, um, figuring out how to measure and kind of pitch this, uh, the project to not only, I guess, funders, but other people, um, be it like political stakeholders that are involved in a project or just other, you know, stakeholders that, um, you know, might not be so easily persuaded or just kind of have to be sold on the idea that it's really important to have these in-depth conversations before moving forward with any decisions. And I also really um, appreciated the discussion on youth. I, it just reminded me we had a community development corporation summit here in the city not too long ago where 250 um, people showed up and it was really just a celebration of the work that we had been doing. And and I've been in events like this before, and there's always that question of, um, in the work that you do, thinking about, you know, what kind of future do you want for your kids? And I thought, well, it would have been really interesting if we had had youth from these different communities actually share what they want for their future, and then that would be our task in the work that we do to make sure that we begin to work towards that vision with them and for them. And um, just thinking that just because we're the professionals and adults, we don't always have the have the answers or even have the right vision. Um, so I just really kind of thinking a lot more about how youth could be involved in some of the work that we're doing. So those are my two big takeaways from today, so thank you. Awesome. You're welcome. Is yeah, thank you. You could use help with, Jillian, or are you just happy listening to these? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy with the way um, – Things have gone. I don't know that I have like any burning questions at this point. So sounds good. Um, Megan, how about you? We haven't heard much from you today. Is there anything you're wrestling with or want to throw out to the group? Oh, there are a lot of things I'm wrestling with, but <laughs> I think just listening to um, everything that everyone has said so far has been really, really helpful. Thinking through how we can write grants for this and, and find ways of explaining the impact of our projects for future work um, will be a continuing conversation that I think we'll have with our with our group. So it was great to hear about that. You know, I, I don't actually have any other questions for now. I'm still marinating all that I've heard. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so we still do have time for a couple more, I think. Let's throw it back out to everybody else. Um, any other burning questions you want to try to get answered today? Well, I'm wondering if anyone else has tried contests. We tried um, supporting, this was a, a farm, uh, farm to table initiative and we helped them. It was a, a farm to school program and it was statewide and they, um, hosted a contest to have students submit, you know, a limited three-minute video digital story that they can then post um, and in that way sort of generate these stories driven by the students. And it was, 
you know, it was very successful for the few students who did it, but it wasn't wildly, you know, it wasn't wildfire, and we didn't get hundreds of stories, and um, it certainly was a cost-effective way at getting some digital stories on their particular issue. And I'm just wondering if anybody else has had success or similar experience in these kinds of, you know, community contests for people submitting stories. Um, we've had some success studying um, groups that have done a lot of that. Uh, it, again, there's so many different ways to approach it. Uh, the National Film Board of Canada probably has the most amount of, of examples. Uh, England offers a lot of examples. Uh, they do it through something that they call the Forum, uh, which is actually kind of a museum where they have community stories that are all held uh, in trust at the museum. Uh, the National Film Board of Canada and in England uh, and our old uh, in the United States what we used to do is, is keep them at local libraries um, but uh, the, to hold the contest uh, it's always best to again do the same thing but identify a search committee based on topic and then ask people to do it in teams and then th whatever the topic is you ask them to tell you what how what that topic means to them and let them know that it's going to be, you know, hosted on a website and then the, there's going to be a public viewing uh, and then the artists are going to be there because for every one person that's involved in one of those teams, they're going to bring 10 of their friends. <laughs> so um, that's, we've always had the best luck kind of, you know, and then, and then as you promote it, uh, do the three-prong approach with, the promotion uh, in local media, on uh, radio, of course, with the radio drive time. And they love those kinds of things because it's community-based. And then uh, at the same time, uh, post, put up posters and uh, then, you know, uh, put out a lot of social media to get the word out and make sure you, you, know, you get your, your advertising um, arch at the right time because if you miss your advertising arch, you you know, you can do all the advertising in the world, but that's not very effective because you've missed the timing. <laughs> uh, but we've had we've had very good success with that, uh, especially uh, like you said, when you can get kids involved, um, uh, they they really that brings out a lot of people. So I think one of the issues with contests is that there's often a mismatch between um the kind of media that you're offering and the prompt and the and who's doing it because if you're asking a kid to make a digital story about something about food farm to plate that's just that's just a no got no starter you know that's not what potentially that group wants to do if you said what do you want to make a, a movie about you know about Vermont or Idaho then that gives you a little more leeway, um, but or it, it has to be that the actual medium matches up with that that particular question and your need for it. So you know, I think sometimes there's mismatches with that. So lots of times the the, the contests that work really well are really quick things. You know, like send a postcard in the coolest you know the coolest design on that. It's not going to take a tremendous amount of time, but a digital story, a three-minute digital <laughs> story, that's just an enormous amount of effort to make one of those. And kids know that. 
So if they want to do something good that they want to have, they know is going to be shown all over the state and they got to stand on a stage and, 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 and take a bow after it, they're not going to turn something in that, that's, uh, you know, that they just whipped off. That. Yeah, that's true. That's that's a really good point. Um, and, but you know, these are wonderful opportunities to build partnerships with schools. Uh, a lot of schools have uh, media technology. They teach media technologies, and um, a lot of again, we've had wonderful work working with uh, local film schools and you know journalism classes and things. And it just builds such wonderful. Um, I don't know. It's just great spirit. It's spirit building and. Uh, people come together, even if they're really sad stories and dangerous stories. Last night we went to uh, a film called The Interrupters, and it's about um, people that are in uh, gang-based uh, inner cities, and they teach people while they're in prison that used to be in these gangs to go interrupt, uh, like if, if someone's sister shot, these people actually go into the house and sit vigil with the family to try to interrupt future gang behavior um, so it stops the cycle of violence. And that was very interesting. And the people that came to that film were very interesting people, and the conversations that took place after the film were very interesting. And those kinds of things really don't build hope, and they build um, an infrastructure of, uh, like, not especially like-minded people, but that what you're talking about is building bridges. And... And those are wonderful opportunities, even if they don't go that well or, you know, people stumble. If you can get them together and review those things and have them bring their friends, it's just, I don't know, I think it's a wonderful thing that, that a lot of us miss, you know, because we watch these things on the Internet and on television and we don't get out and commingle anymore. Great. All right, so I think we have time for maybe one more quick question if anyone has one. Anyone want to take advantage of that? And if not, we can just wrap it up. I have a question. This is Barbara. I want to know what what you want to do going out of here. I mean, is is this a group that you're interested in hanging out with? You want to uh, have a monthly convening somehow, or start a Facebook group that's a closed group that you can ask questions and send send links. To and I mean, what? What I'm interested in where we go from here. I was actually thinking we might finish today by putting you all on the spot and going around and, and answering that question. It's hard sometimes to just jump in. And Barbara just threw out a couple of great possibilities. There may be others we're not thinking about. Um, you know, maybe it's a call but not monthly. Maybe you want to get back on the phone three months from now or six months from now and just check in and have someone there to answer questions again. Or maybe you all don't like Facebook, but you like email or something like that. So there are a lot of possibilities. Um, so if you guys don't mind being put on the spot, let's do just another little go around. We'll actually take one of the lessons from the call today, and we're going to ask you all to headline it. So instead of giving us a paragraph or three minutes about it, just tell us quickly, um, you know, coming out of here today, what do you want to do? Do you want to stay in touch? Do you want to just go off and work on your own? What are you thinking? Um, so I'm just going to call people out again in no particular order. Um, Elaine, do you want to start us off? Two things. <laughs> um, well, one of the things I'm thinking of here is 
we've, we've done this whole call, and I, I really, people didn't tell their stories. I mean, there's a little bit, you know, in the, in the thing that's posted on, on uh, the Google Docs, but um, what is a good story? How do we help people get to telling their story in an effective way? Um, I mean, I don't think of myself as a good storyteller, and yet I, I love to listen to other people. So, you know, why is that? I don't know. Um, there are some people who are just magical about being able to express themselves. Um, and I'd, I'd love to hear more on, on, you know, kind of picking apart what are the qualities of, uh, that we could, we could help people in their storytelling to bring out what they're trying to say. Great. Okay, so let me just ask you specifically, Elaine, what would work best for you? Do you want another phone call or more phone calls to dig into this, or would you rather have some kind of online forum or something else? Um, for me personally, uh, blocking time and talking to people person to person is is much more effective. Okay. Um, Great. That just works for me. Okay. So I'm going to pass this around to some others, and we are down to about eight minutes, so we'll have to move through this a little bit quickly. But if you all want to weigh in, that would be great. So, Tina, um, how about you? Well, I'll I'll put out my wish list, and uh, understanding that uh, that you may have various um, uh, resources available to to either do these things or not. So it'll just be my dream wish list. So. Uh, so one thing I've participated in the past is called a peer learning network, and it has to do with forestry stuff. Um, so when when I'm trying to learn about a concept um, that uh, some of my peers have more experience with, or or we have different experience, we will um, we'll schedule uh, calls like this, and and possibly you know with a webinar uh, where you know information is being presented on a PowerPoint and. And, uh, you know, we can really have some focused discussions on, on, uh, certain strategies or tools. And so, um, you know, I know that, that for me to do this project, uh, right now I don't have a deadline for it, so I know that I typically will push it off to the side. And, uh, you know, I'd like to use this group to help me be accountable to, um, to start making some progress. Great thinking. Thanks. Um, Jessica, how about you? For me, um, I think having a little bit of time to maybe think, and then if we could reconvene, um, maybe with updates on here's what's worked for us, what has worked for you, would be helpful. Um, also, if anybody is kind of chronicling this process, like on their social media, or even if they're not, just to build some stronger relationships among us as a group, um, if we could, like, if everybody could share their organizational or personal Facebook, Twitter, that sort of thing. Um, I think would also be really helpful for me. Um, yeah. Perfect. Thanks. Uh, Carl? Uh, well, I, I do see some value in this group, and I think, uh, you know, especially from our viewpoint, uh, you know, most people on this in, in this group have more experience with storytelling projects than we do. So I certainly like to... Keep it as a resource of, of some form, um, and uh, yeah, I suppose I put my vote towards either phone calls or uh, a lot of uh, um, 
lot of these kind of conference calls have been moved to more chat-based uh, um, platforms, and uh, I, I think that's fairly effective um, to get everyone to comment and uh, comment when they when they want to. Great, Jillian. Uh, yeah, um, two things. I definitely like the idea of the phone calls, so I'm on board with monthly scheduling permits for everybody. Um, I also like the idea of a closed Facebook page so that people could post questions real-time, um, provide resources real-time, and that sort of thing, so we're not keeping track of, like, pages and pages of notes and sorting through. Um, I think that would be really effective. And then... Tyler Crow, I, we haven't really had much experience actually holding storytelling projects and doing those. So I don't know if this would be a possibility or if it just sounds, I don't know, generic or cheesy, but I would be up for being, um, for you guys walking us through like a story circle and us actually participating in that. I have no idea how that would um, actually go down, but it just seems like I've never actually had a tell a story or anything like that, so I would be interested in, in just testing that out for myself as a participant um, and not just as trying to facilitate a project. Great. Really neat idea. Um, Megan, how about you? Oh, I love the idea of a central place where we could hear, where we could, you know, sort of read about what each other's projects are doing, at least in a way that doesn't make any additional work, but whatever social media or write-ups you're doing anyway, having a, whatever the format is, an email list or a, some sort of peer learning network where we can post both things about what we're doing and what's working and what's not, but also additional resources we find that are, that are really fabulous that might be very helpful to each other. I think that would be great. I think calls are nice occasionally because it's nice to hear the real voices of other people and connect with people in different circles who are doing this. But for me and my timing, they're sort of hard. And so so I'd prefer some other form of connecting from time to time with an occasional call rather than a call every month or something like that. Great. And Terry, I think you're last but not least. Um, I love all of the suggestions. Uh, I also really love the idea of having a, a, a private uh, Facebook community. Um, I belong to one that's part of the arts. I serve on a on a board of a collaborative dance um, company here in New York City, where we do um, uh, uh, modern dance in the New York City schools K through 12, and teach kids how to communicate through dance and get through certain issues that they have. Anyway, um, and we have a, there's a, 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 a closed Facebook uh, group there. And it's really, it's wonderful to, because you come up with an idea at 2 o'clock in the morning and you go, gosh, I wish, I wonder if somebody has an answer for that. And you put it out there and you go back to it a couple of days later and you've got all these wonderful ideas from other people. And I don't know, I, that kind of works for me. Um, and I found it really wonderful. And and I've got all kinds of new wonderful friends through that, too. So. Great. And actually, I forgot, we do have one more. We have Joanna still. Yes. Um, uh, I'm Joanna, and I agree uh, with, with it. Megan, who said uh, the calls are very difficult in terms of timing. Uh, but I do like the idea of the Facebook page and some sort of uh, periodic call. 
And I think the sharing of what's working, what's not working would be very helpful. Great. Okay. So thanks so much. You are so great. You ended that just with one minute to share, which is absolutely perfect. Um, Barbara and Betsy, any closing thoughts from you? Well, I, I'm heartened, so heartened to, to know that people from all over the country are coming together and doing this good hard work and, and, and taking, taking the, the power of storytelling into their hearts and into their practices. It's fantastic and I'd be very, um, very excited about working with, with you and learning from you, um, in a, in a group going forward. So, uh, I like all of these ideas that you put forward, uh, you know, a closed Facebook group, um, connecting our information, putting some tags out there, coming up with a good tag. So anytime we're, we're doing a blog post or a Twitter, Twitter um, piece or anything, if we have a tag we're all using so that immediately we can um, have access to that. Um, I love the fact that maybe we should have some phone calls from now and, now and again. And I also like, let's try stuff out and we can do it on air. I mean, we can do, we, there's some great online platforms where we can do some training that'll be really fun and, and, and should help all of us in our practices to, to keep, you know, keep, keep, our, keep our skills up to snot. So that's what I think. Yep. Betsy, anything else from you? No, I think I'm equally excited about um, both the interest and, and all the ideas that have come out today and you know, look forward to continuing that network in whatever way makes the most sense for folks. Great. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks to everybody so much for sharing those ideas at the end and the interest in staying involved. And we should have prefaced that by saying, of course, there's no obligation. If you don't want to, we're not going to keep you captive by any means. Um, and there are some folks who did want to join us today but couldn't, so I expect we might have some others who'd like to join in as well. So uh, thanks to someone, I don't remember who, for acknowledging that this does take resources, and we do need to have a little chat here about what we can actually handle and how we can put that together. Um, you all may have additional thoughts in the next couple of days, too. So I think everyone has my email, rstone at orton.org. Please feel free to just jot me a note if something else occurs to you or you have thoughts. And we'll follow up with you by next week and let you know what we're thinking and what we propose trying out for a couple of months at least and see how that goes. Um, and in the meantime, I'm going to make this podcast available to others. The notes are available. You guys can continue to use that document and dump stuff in there as you're doing your good work, and we may come up with a more permanent platform for that. So we'll definitely get back in touch. We are so excited to have you all on the line, and thank you for sharing your stories and your challenges and what's going on in your communities. It's such an amazing diversity of projects and ideas and things you're struggling with. But I think Gina put it so eloquently toward the beginning that sometimes the statistics and the politics and the government just isn't enough. You need something a little bit deeper and storytelling really seems to be a great way to do it. That's a common thread that you've all talked about today, and that really seems to be a powerful way you can move all of your communities forward. So thank you for going there with us, and we will be very excited to continue the conversation. So with that, it's 5 o'clock Eastern, all different times wherever you are across the country, but we're going to call it a day. Thanks for joining. Thanks, all. Thank you so much. Thank you for hosting. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.